There's technology out there that's not .NET. Does your team need to master AngularJS? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to ours, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by Widgmo 5, a brand new generation of JavaScript controls. A pretty amazing line of HTML5 and JavaScript products for enterprise application development in that Widgmo 5 leverages ECMAScript 5 and each control ships with AngularJS directives. Check out the faster, lighter, and more mobile Widgmo 5. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 29 of the Adventures in Angular podcast. This week on our panel we have Lucas Rubelke. Hello. Ward Bell. Hello. John Papa. Howdy everybody. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that's Ben Nadell. Hello from sunny but snowy New York. Oh, that's right. You guys are supposed to get like 10 tons of snow, right? We, where I am, we got we got about three to four inches. But uh, yeah, up in uh, Boston, I think they got close to two feet or something crazy. What city do you live in in New York? I actually am about 45 minutes north of New York City for the last year. But I did used to, I was living in the city for about uh, the last 12 years. Yeah, I grew up in Albany, New York. A little bit. Oh, okay. I've been to a, useless knowledge uh, nobody cares about. Oh, cool. Yeah. Actually, my, uh, my business partner lived in Amsterdam for his childhood. And uh, I'm a New Yorker myself, and I could start talking like this if we got to talk like that. <laughs> <laughs> I like So, how's it going? How's it going? So, actually, you started this incredible business. I say incredible because I've, I've been to the website Envision, and you have an amazing customer list. And can you tell us quickly about how you got going in that and what you're doing there? Yeah, sure. So I used to run a consulting company with my business partner, Clark Valbert, where we did consulting for software, custom software, basically anything that anybody wanted. And we were very big into building prototypes before we actually implemented code. But the prototypes at the time were, were HTML and CSS and JavaScript. So they were very clickable, very interactive. But what we were realizing was that our ability to iterate over our prototypes was kind of slowing down as the prototypes grew in complexity and grew in size because, you know, it was still a lot of code to deal with. And once you start to write a lot of code, you kind of become very emotionally attached to it. You don't want to throw it away and you kind of start to even subconsciously push back against clients asking for changes because you know secretly it's going to be a lot of work to change those. So Clark and I sat down one day and we, we started to think about different ways to approach it. And we thought, well, what if it was just graphical? Meaning, what if it was just images? We didn't have to worry about the code. And we could string the images together like uh, image maps. I don't know if anyone even uses image maps anymore. But, you know, you make a part of an image clickable to another page. And we started to iterate on that idea with just like a single image here and a single image there. And then we started to build some interactivity. And then this was all part of our consulting business. And we were only using it as a way to present the work to our clients. And um, it was actually someone who was working with us at the company and said, hey, this is a really great idea. You guys should put it out there and see if anybody else likes it. And uh, after some resistance to the idea of sharing it, because at the time we thought, well, this is kind of our secret sauce, right? Like, this is how we're able to iterate on our prototypes for our clients so fast and get to a better piece of software for them than maybe our competitors would be able to. But eventually, we put it out there. We started to get some traction. It was, of course, written the first time in just jQuery and, you know, a lot of server-side code. 
and uh, we went through about one or two iterations and then we got funding and then we got a lot of traction and we got some huge names and and then we actually ended up spinning it off as its own company entity so I'm now co-founder and CTO of Envision and we have since rewritten basically the entire application in angular js uh, and a whole bunch of other technologies like Firebase, which I know you guys have talked about on previous episodes. And it's just been, it's been growing in popularity and there's some growing pains. We're trying to address those, but uh, it's been quite a fantastic journey, I have to say. I should point out, I'm just looking at the the website here, and it's an intriguing idea because I think all of us have tried to sit down with clients and get them to explore the possibilities. And we wish we could present them with more than one design rather than just one design. And there you go. Yeah, it's really freeing. I mean, you still get emotionally attached to design, but not in the same way that, you know, if you had to sit down and write code for nine hours and then have to throw that away, that's, to me, at least a lot more painful than putting something together in Photoshop or Fireworks or Sketch and, you know, presenting a whole array of ideas to the clients. They pick and choose the aspects they like, then you take it and you merge it into a new graphical interface and present it and continue to iterate. And the platform provides a lot of collaboration. You know, we, we sort of build it originally as a prototyping platform, but then really the prototyping was such a, it's, it's the core product, but it's such a basic part of the product. Most of it is about the collaboration and the ability to spread the ideas and to get feedback from a really a wide swath of stakeholders, people who, who maybe otherwise wouldn't have been involved in the process because they weren't at the meetings or they weren't, you know, part of the people involved in paying for the project or, or what have you. So it's really the, the sneeze ability and the ease of spreading and collecting feedback that I think is what makes Envision really as powerful as it has become. Of your Angular, does that sort of drive your Angular uh, thoughts and, and Angular sort of woven throughout that in terms of organizing that app? Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. It's AngularJS has, it's a learning curve and it's a steep learning curve. And all of the pain that I felt learning that and dealing with the hurdles and kind of ascending and then descending through this life cycle of learning have pretty much become every blog post that I've written in the last two years. I found two particular points to be steep, meaning if I come from a different experience, if I'm not a JavaScript developer already, uh, I firmly agree with you, yes, it's, it's steep. Because you're not just learning Angular, you're learning a lot of JavaScript practices and a lot of folks who are coming in Angular haven't done these things. They don't understand how to write JavaScript well the way they did for C Sharp or Java or other things. So I think that adds to the confusion and we need to help there. I, I also feel like if you're coming into Angular and you've got JavaScript experience, then you don't need to know everything about Angular right out of the gate either. So is it really steep? I mean, when you say steep, what is it steep for? Yeah, good question. The way I think about it is that the learning curve comes with the fact that Angular as a framework makes things very possible. Meaning that before I dealt with AngularJS, you know, I used jQuery, I used vanilla JavaScript, but I wasn't building single page applications. So there's kind of a limit to how much damage you can do when you know that your page can refresh and maybe you have a page that has 5,000 lines of spaghetti JavaScript, but at the end of the day, it's just this page. And the second someone goes to another page, you clear all your memory locks, you clear, you know, you get a whole, a whole new board to work with, so to speak. Because Angular makes advancing the way that you build JavaScript applications so accessible, 
I think it brings you to new hurdles that you never had to deal with before, such as memory leaks, such as dealing with Ajax for everything, such as dealing with a lot of asynchronicity, such as dealing with cached data locally and, and build processes and what have you. And with each one of those things that now is part of your world as a developer, you know, even if you have years of JavaScript experience, now you're solving completely new problems in a completely new context. And so to me, that's why it's kind of a roller coaster because you can get going really fast and then all of a sudden you hit a wall and you're like, oh, routing. Like, how do I deal with routing? Like, you know, I've been doing AngularJS since 1.0.4, I think, and the router then was poor. I think the router now is still poor. The 2.0 seems pretty exciting. But like just dealing with routing, which you maybe never had to deal with before, that was, for me personally, that was weeks of development just trying to figure out how to build proper routing in our applications and how to do that in ways where only parts of the page can refresh and other parts may or may not have to refresh and how does one part know about a route change that's relevant versus a route change that's not relevant. I agree with you, Ben, but let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. Would that be any different if it was Angular or Ember or React or just straight up JavaScript? Does the need to learn routing and that steep curve, because it is steep to learn that, is that an Angular thing or is that just a, a more of generalizing a JavaScript web framework thing? I would assume it's just a general framework thing. Angular happens to be the framework that I know, so I can't necessarily compare it to Backbone or Ember or, or React or Flux or what have you. But I, I would assume that it's going to be the same across the board because, again, you're just dealing with, with new problems that you've never had to solve before. Yeah, and that's, that's what I think I'm getting at. Is I, I agree with you that there's a steep curve here, but... I think that the learning curve is even is less steep for Angular than it is for just learning how do you do JavaScript and write apps in a browser that we've yeah. never really done that before. Yeah, I think yeah, that's really a good point, John, because and it's really interesting because, Ben, so much of the time when we see people quote you on that, they think you're talking about Angular, and they'll use it in an argument about why some other framework or no framework at all is better because Angular is too complicated. And I'm sitting there myself like John, I'm scratching my head because what I, I acknowledge with uh, completely is that this is no longer just spew onto a page. Now you have to learn patterns and how it's all going to work to hold together to build an entire client-side app in JavaScript as opposed to just script across a page. And that's what I think all of us are finding is a challenge. And, and it isn't that Angular itself, at least in my experience, was so hard as figuring out what's the right thing to do. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And that's why, you know, even in our own company, we get a lot of pushback against Angular not because other things are better, but because they kind of on the face appear to be faster or easier to do when you look at one particular part of an application. You know, like, oh, we should be using React because it can build the view very fast. But, you know, no one has the depth of experience, at least that I've seen, to really say, yeah, that's true, but what about all of the other stuff that Angular does that you might not be taking into account when comparing the, the, the aspects of different libraries or different frameworks? I think it's you're gonna you're gonna hit hurdles no matter what you do because almost by the fact that the framework enables you to do new things, you're going to have new challenges. And I think that that that's not a problem of the framework. It shouldn't be seen as a negative. It should be seen as a. I mean, I, I hate to say to see be seen as a positive, but it it is positive that you're getting to these new hurdles because you've been empowered by the tools that you're using. 
I think that's that's super key. Uh, so I agree with you there. There's problems we're facing now that are only surfacing because people now have Angular to thank for removing a lot of the plumbing from their minds because it does all that for you. But now we're like, wait, I've got to figure out how to do all this routing and I got to figure out how to do dependency injection and deal with these different modules. And so I, I think that's what's really more the issue is, is learning how to do stuff we've been doing on the server for so many years or in JavaScript without any help. Uh, now we're kind of elevated to another level of figuring out how do we make it better. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I think to some degree, it's not like a lot of times people will say, oh, well, you have to know a lot about the Angular internals or you have to really understand the way it does the compiling and linking or the way it does expression parsing in order to build an efficient Angular application. And they say, well, you know, it's a leaky abstraction. You shouldn't have to know about things like this. But I don't think that that's true. That's part of being able to leverage a tool to its maximum ability is removing that that veil of secrecy was removing the magic and understanding how it works at the mechanical level so that you can then work with it in the ways that are efficient and avoid the ways that you know are not efficient like a like dealing with a manual transmission in a car right like if you want to just drive a normal car and it's automatic and that works well then that's exactly what you use it for but if you're going to use a manual car you need to know how that works so that you know when to shift gears and and how to feel the vibrations of the car and i don't actually know how to drive a manual car so forgive me if i'm talking way out of uh, left field there but <laughs> but you need to know how to work with the tool they shouldn't be black boxes because that's not how you can use them the most efficiently thanks that, that helps clarify it hmm. So, Ben, I was looking at your blog post, and I want to talk about how you do that uh, a little bit later. But, but I noticed that a high percentage of them concern explorations of performance characteristics yeah, of yeah. your Angular app. So I'm, I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about how you think about performance. Because, you know, you know, everybody knows that old saw about premature optimization. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So, but it clearly is something that's on your mind a lot. So tell us, how do you think about performance in spa apps? Are you worried about desktop versus mobile? What's driving your thinking there and causing you to look in certain places? And then maybe you can give us a list of your top watchouts. <laughs> sure. So all of the performance exploration I do uh, is typically based on actual pain that we felt in our application. Because as we build the application, we build it with a certain use case in mind. And as you know, when you deal with users, the use case that, that you account for is probably a very small percentage of the way somebody actually uses it. You can say, oh, you should never build an interface that has so and so much data, or you should never build an interface that has so many repeaters or or what have you. But the truth is, you don't necessarily think that someone is going to build a project, we deal with projects and screens, that has hundreds of screens. Or you never it just never occurs to you that, oh, I'm going to have a user that has a thousand active projects. So when you build your interface that just lists out projects and each of those projects has a lot of intricacy in the way the UI is rendered, you know, suddenly, and this is no exaggeration at all, you have a page with 15,000 watchers on it. And you have to figure out how to deal with that. Because especially from a software as a service product like Envision, it turns out that the power users are also the ones paying you the most money. So you have to figure out how to make their experience as good, if not better, than the person who is using the free version of the product. So performance has become a problem for us as we've grown because we just didn't anticipate 
people using it in such an extreme way, which is great because it means that the product has a lot of traction, has a lot of adoption, and it's really helping people solve problems. But it also means that they're pushing the limits of what you expected. And then on top of that, it's hard to then go back and say, oh, well, now if we're going to have a user that has a thousand active projects, we can't necessarily rebuild the UI so easily to say have pagination because now we have features that didn't anticipate pagination and how do we retrofit that concept into the, the application. So all the performance that I explore is from pain that I have actually felt in the application that we build. I really enjoy looking at the source code behind what I'm working with. And you've talked about some of the aspects of AngularJS and some of the advantages of understanding how they work. But if I wanted to just get started and sort of find a thread to pull at and unravel, which part of Angular would you recommend that people go for first? I think directives are kind of the Achilles heel of Angular while at the same time accounting for so much of the power. When we first started learning about Angular, it was actually recommended by a co-worker of mine, Jamie Krug, who his instructions were to go to the Angular website, read the documentation about directives, then read it nine more times, and then read it one more time for good measure. And because they're really complex, and it's not fair to say that they're really complex. They can be very complex and they can be very simple. And I think once you can wrap your head around the way directives work, and the kind of different types of directives that can be applied to an AngularJS application, I think that would simplify the way that you think about building your pages and the way that you think about organizing your code. And I think we'll remove a lot of the pain points because directives, they're, they're just, everything else is function calls and AJAX and learning about promises and learning about just organizing the, the layouts in your application and routing, but, but it's the directives that really are a hurdle when it comes to understanding how Angular fits together and how it renders and how it builds your page. I think putting as much time into understanding directives would probably be the most valuable part of an AngularJS education. How do you use directives in your app? I've seen a wide range of them, some of them just to sort of create new behaviors, all the way to somebody trying to build an entire application with directives in lieu of view view model pairs and trying to you know have directives within directives and with directives at least that is, so I'm kind of curious about how you use do you just sort of have a few that you sprinkle through that they're critical or is it like everywhere and if so, how do you use it and maybe John had a similar question so directives I mean I've been building this one particular application for two years and I'm still learning about directives and about how to organize the code more effectively. The, the easiest directive to learn and to work with is simply just adding some interaction behavior to your application, right? The ones out of the box like ng-click and ng-show and ng-hide. I guess ng-show and ng-hide aren't really behaviors, but like ng-click, ng-mouse-enter, ng-mouse-leave. These are kind of taking the JavaScript interactions that we've known and used for years with jQuery and, and regular JavaScript and now just saying, okay, let's wrap that inside of a directive. And if, if you dig into the AngularJS source code and you look at the way those things are implemented, they're super simple. You know, ng-click is probably like just a couple of lines of code. It's, it's, pretty, it's about as basic as you can get. So adding behaviors is one. Then I do a lot of stuff with deferring because we have interfaces that have so many watchers. I mean, I'm, literally I'm talking pages with 15,000 watchers on them. And Angular says don't go above 2,000. 
we have a lot of directives that deal with deferring the transclusion, uh, the linking of certain parts of the interface. So if you can imagine that I have a list, an ng-repeat list with a thousand things in it, again, not an, not an exaggeration here, each one of those list items can have a lot of directives inside of it. Each one of those directives may or may not have uh, bindings, and then there's the text interpolation, attribute interpolation, so on and so forth. So what we'll do is we'll look at that list and say, okay, when the page renders, here's what the person can see, and then maybe when they mouse over one of the list items, they can see something from an ng show or something that fades in or, or, or what have you. And what we can do is say, oh, well, at the root of this repeater, we can actually, during the compile phase, we can go into those list items and we can rip out all of the stuff that people don't need to know about. And then what we can do is we can listen for mouse enter events. And when someone mouses into a particular list item, we can then transclude the stuff that we ripped out and clone it and append it to the particular item. And then if we want to, we can rip it when they miss it, when they mouse out. And now you have, you know, thousands of watchers that you can remove from the page. So I don't even know how you would categorize a directive like that. It's kind of a behavior directive. It's not, I guess it's kind of a layout directive. Unfortunately, you know, a lot of things like that were simplified when things like UIF and now NGIF came along, which kind of do a lot of the heavy lifting that we were doing back before we even knew that uh, Angular UI module existed. And then things like we, we deal with a ton of images uh, because Envision deals with prototypes based on images that are linked together. So we do a lot of lazy loading of images. So we create directives around integrating. Instead of using ng source, we integrate source loading with scrolling the page and the visibility of elements and Trying to think of other, we do a lot of uh, directives that deal with WebSocket integration. And this is one of those things where now you get a little bit nitpicky maybe with the philosophy of AngularJS where we don't want, we don't want the controllers and the services to know about the DOM. So where do we bind something that has to listen for WebSockets off of? But like we'll, we'll bind WebSocket listeners to the root of the page or to the root of a view, and then it listens for or subscribes and unsubscribes to particular WebSockets and then turns around and routes those through the rest of the application. And, and then uh, we deal with directives that do HTML5 uploading. So we do is a PL upload, which is, or pluplload, I pronounce it, which is an HTML5 uploader with fallback to Flash. Um, so kind of integrating that into the application is a directive. And, Sorry, I, I don't mean to ramble, but... Uh, yeah. Those are really good cases, and those are very specific. Again, the question of be- whether you call them a behavior or a layout things, but they solve very specific problems in a reusable fashion. That makes sense to me as a as a directive. By the way, you have a whole blog post on that whole transclusion thing you were talking about, where you rip out part of the DOM, and or you delay populating the DOM uh, until uh, there's something to do it thus eliminating all those watchers. And I was curious about that. It's a fascinating post. Uh, we put a link in there. But then I was wondering, well, doesn't NGIF do that? And so can you relate those two for us? Sure, absolutely. So NGIF does do that based on an expression that you give it to evaluate. And the truth is that we could probably go back and retrofit a lot of what we're doing to use NGIF. But the thing is, you have to find a way to, on the fly, change the NGIF expression evaluation. So I could say, don't show this element until like hover is true, but then I need another directive sitting somewhere that says, okay, but when you 
hover into it, make sure that you set that hover flag for two so that your NGS will kick in and now you can see those contents. So it's it replaces to some degree, but but mostly it replaces part of the interaction, I think not the entire interaction. So Ben, I've been to your, uh, and I urge everybody to go look at your blog because it's really you know, uh, amazing. Each of them is a polished gem. You've got a problem statement and you have this incredibly clear discussion of wonderfully focused code sample on a single page. <laughs> then you do a 15 minute video and you cross link all the stuff. And, uh, you know, having done a little bit of that, like, and just to give a, a, you've done 16 of these in January alone and you have over a hundred in the last few years. So my question to you is, do you have a job? Uh, yeah. <laughs> or, <laughs> Or really, what is your process? That's, that's sure, my sure. question. So my process is that so much of what I do is based, again, on, on the pain that I feel at work. So as I go through the day, typically I will think of an idea based on the code that I'm writing or I'll think of an idea based on something I see on Twitter. And actually, I will email myself and I have a special subject line that gets filtered into a special inbox for just blog ideas. And then every morning I wake up at 5.30 and the dog usually sleeps in until about 7. And that gives me, you know, an hour and a half to two hours of, of kind of me time in the morning. No one else is awake. And I sort of pick the thing that seemed most interesting or I look at the things that I have in that pending queue. And then I just, I start attacking it. And usually I start with an assumption that I want to prove or I just want to know how it works and I start writing the JavaScript for it. And one of the approaches that I use is in the JavaScript, I use a tremendous amount of commenting in the blog posts in the JavaScript. I don't use quite so much in production. And I do that because the commenting one, I think, is helpful for the people reading it. But also the commenting for me is I don't want to say anything that's not true in the commenting. So the more that I can say in the comments in the JavaScript, the more I actually have to dig into what I'm saying to actually make sure it's true. So if I say, oh, you know, this happens because there's um, a watcher gets set up in the pre-linking phase and then it has to get set, you know, checked again in the post-linking phase. Well, I can't say that unless I've actually taken the time to dig into the source code and, and validate that that comment is actually true. And then, you know, hopefully I can get it all out in one morning. A lot of times I'll kind of finish it up at night and then post it the next morning. So, But I, I, I try as much as possible to always have a hopper of ideas ready to go and a lot of pain points ready to be investigated. Cool. Well, we're kind of at the end of the time. Is there anything else that we should cover before we wrap up? No, I you know, I suggest just looking into the AngularJS source code because it's fascinating, really, and it's it's incredibly complex. And there's always, I think, a feeling somewhere in the community that people don't need this. Like, you don't need jQuery because you can bind your own event handlers, and you don't need Angular because you can just build a framework and you're doing all the same stuff. And when you look at the source code, you see how much has been thought through and how many problems are solved. And, oh, did you even know that SVG elements require a little use case here when dealing with the DOM? Like, you probably didn't know that. And maybe your application would have never need to know. Maybe it wouldn't. But the source code is fascinating. The people who put it together, they're either insane or they're brilliant. I'm not sure. But it's just super interesting to look at. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming. So You're so awesome having. that we're going to have you back in a few months. Oh, fantastic. Uh, I look forward to <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into the picks. Ward, do you want to start us off with picks? 
I'm bouncing around between the Windows side and the Mac side, and I'm going losing track of everything I'm doing. And and I also been bouncing around among IDEs and how do you what do you do this and that. And so John Papa, our friend on here, has got me into brackets. And I gotta say that for reasons I can't articulate yet, I do find myself clicking on brackets as opposed to, <laughs> to some of the other uh, choices I have. So I'm going to pick. Brackets. I'm going to have people uh, take a peek at brackets and see if they don't like that as a way to edit their stuff. All right. Do you have a tip for us? Go to Ben's site. It's it's really a fascinating <laughs> read. <laughs> Plus one. Uh, uh, next time he comes back, though, I'm going to come with a really hard questions instead of all these little softballs I've been throwing at him. Nice. All right, Lucas, do you have a pick and a tip for us? Yes. So my pick this week is I recently got a GORUCK backpack, and it's just super rugged, super awesome. It's definitely worth the investment. And my Angular tip is I just did a blog post on authentication using interceptors. And in conjunction with that, I am using a module called Angular Storage, which is kind of like ng cookies done right, uh, done by the Auth0 people. It's excellent, super easy to use, and I highly recommend it. Awesome. John, do you have a pick and a tip for us? I do. Uh, my non-Angular pick is a thing called Thing Charger. I found this is one of these really cool new ideas that's out there. And what it is is basically a, a plug that you can put on top of your outlet. It's super, super thin. And it extends your plug and looks just like a plug, so my, your wife won't be upset about it in the house. But it's got uh, USB ports and things hanging out of the top and bottom, so you can plug in multiple devices and really not have an ugly thing in your house to do that. And it's at thingcharger.com. And then my tip for Angular is a blog post from a buddy of mine named Cody Peterson where he's talking about the three types of data binding in Angular in that he articulates one-way binding, different from two-way binding, different from one-time binding. That's in uh, basically the uh, new Angular 1.3 logic. So definitely check out this post, and we'll put the link up there. Very cool. Uh, My pick is interviewed.io. And I'll put a link into the page about this guy that I know. But basically what it is, is it's just a collection of podcast interviews done by uh, different people. So uh, some of the more popular people out there, like John Lee Dumas or Pat Flynn, if you're in the, the business entrepreneurial world, you can go in there and you can see where they've been interviewed, what shows they've been on, stuff like that. I don't have a great tip. I, I usually get good tips off of the show. So I'm going to skip that. And That's like a meta tip. Yeah, there we go. And Ben, do you have a pick and a tip for us? Uh, sure. Picks? My pick would be, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, Gunner Glasses, G-U-N-N-A-R. And I've been using them for about a year and a half now, just uh, while I stare at the computer all day. And I don't know exactly how they work. They cut out some of the blue light or something or some sort of light spectrum that irritates the eye. And I think they also have a slight magnification, but they definitely make your eyes way more comfortable as you're dealing with the screen all day. And to the point where now if I, I can look at my screen for like a minute or two without them before I kind of get irritated and have to put them back on. The downside is that they look a little funny on, on video calls, but the comfort I think is worth it. Are they funny looking or are they cool? <laughs> I'm going to change my attitude. I think they're cool now. Um, and then That's I funny. Get, you're going to start a trend. I, I like it. They're and, not wacky uh, enough for my taste. They need to have some like spangles or something. Yeah, I'm looking at this and I'm looking at a picture of Ward. I'm like, Ward would be like, meh. 
<laughs> Boring. Yeah, he, he needs snakes. Boring. Snake Maybe skin. the red ones. Snakeskin glasses now, to go with the snakeskin boots. Now, if you bedazzle it, you're all set for work. <laughs> with the top hat, you're in. Yeah, I'm gonna get. I'll get someone get my wife to work on it. She can put something <laughs> ridiculous on it. And then I guess for angular tips, one for me is very controversial, and I kind of enjoy that. And that's don't use the isolate scope unless you actually know what it does, because a lot of people will tell you that the isolate scope has to do with reusability. But this is something that you learn when you look at the AngularJS source code, is that none of the AngularJS built-in directives use the isolate scope. And you could argue that the ones built into the framework are ultimately the most reusable directives that there are out there. So understand what the isolate scope is, realize that it really has nothing to do with reusability, but it does serve a purpose, and just know what that purpose is. My other tip would be, I like to avoid using filters in ng-repeat, not necessarily because they have a performance problem, but because it makes it harder to then update the UI based on the state of the list, like not showing the list if there are no items in the filter or showing different messages based on, on the filtering. So the more you can keep track of that in the controller, the easier it is to update the DOM as it changes. No filters policy in my apps. I, I, I definitely lean heavily in that direction. I know several people who have no filter. That's a different problem. <laughs> Every time I talk. <laughs> All right. Well, we don't have any NG conference here, so I guess we don't have any announcements on that. But I'm pretty sure that most of us that are regulars on the show are planning on being there. So if you're going to be there, then uh, let us know. And we're going to be doing an episode on Friday during lunch. And then I'm also going to see if I can pull together some kind of meetup after the conference in the evening or something fun. I don't know. Maybe we'll get breakfast beforehand since I know that there are events afterward anyway. So thank you all for coming. Thanks, Ben. It, it was awesome to talk. And I'm definitely going to have to go check out your blog and all of your smarties. Been a, it's been a pleasure. I'm honored that you guys included me. I've been listening for a long time. I'm a huge fan. Nice. All right. Well, we will wrap up the show and we'll catch you all next week. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today.